Hi, my name is Kunal, and welcome to the Geeks of the Valley podcast, which connects with some of the brightest minds globally who are leading their respective industries today to discuss the hottest upcoming industry trends and how their work is affecting the global economy. This morning, from the Montreal, Canada area, we have the founder and managing partner of Execution Labs joining us. Execution Labs is a hands-on early-stage investor and one of the most successful gaming incubators today. Please welcome Jason Della Roca. Jason, thank you so much for joining us today. Awesome. Thank you so much for, for having me, Kuna. And uh, how are things with you in light of COVID? Oh, you know, uh, not not as much travel. You know, the game industry is a, a global business. And prior to the pandemic, uh, you know, I was in a different country almost every other week. So, uh, you know, ha- happy to, to relax a bit, spend more time with the family and, uh, you know, get, get work done over Zoom, I guess. Uh, I'm happy to hear that. Uh, let's uh, jump into the first question here, shall we? Sure, sure. So, Jason, tell me about yourself and your background and how it led you to being a top entrepreneur in the gaming industry and starting Execution Labs. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll, I'll kind of give you the short version because I've been in the game industry for over 25 years. Uh, in, in the early days, I was uh, more on the hardware and 3D graphics, so the, the chips uh, side of things, technology side of things. Uh, and it's f- interesting because just uh, earlier this week was the 20-year the anniversary of the release of the initial uh, or the first Xbox from Microsoft. And, uh, and, and I, I, I played a small part in that, uh, in that adventure, so that was kind of part of my, my early career. But um, you know, that, that led to a role as the global director of the International Game Developers Association, which is the sort of the professional society that represents game developers uh, all over the world. Uh, And it was a really challenging role, uh, but also a very interesting role that allowed me to kind of connect with all of the stakeholders, you know, from from investors to publishers, to developers, to students and schools and governments, you know, agencies, whatever, all over the world. Um, and, And I did that for nine years uh, and, and then stepped down. And when I stepped down, I started to do a consulting work specifically around economic policy and ecosystem development, community development for the game industry. So I would work with pretty exotic, you know, regions like, uh, you know, New Zealand or, or Iceland or Brazil uh, to help them figure out how to best invest in the game sector, the game ecosystem. Uh, because this was a good business to be in, right? Games were games were growing, you know, billions and billions of dollars uh, uh, globally. Uh, these were were desirable jobs, well-paid jobs, you know, knowledge economy type workers, you know, low ecological impact. You weren't, you know, you weren't building a big car factory. It's you know, a few people in, in a studio with a couple of computers. Um, and and one of the things that I often advised to governments was the need to have seed funding to encourage angel investors and educate angel investors, uh, to have mentorship programs and incubators and, and other programs that facilitated or even you know, sped up the creation of new startups and new intellectual property. And so I would talk about this stuff, you know, kind of uh, as, as a consultant recommending people to do it. But as a consultant, you, you know, 
you give advice. You never actually have to do the work. Uh, and, and then that kind of led me to connect with some investors in, uh, in Canada who said, you know what, we, we think this should be done in Canada. Like, you know, hey, it's nice that you're advising all these other places to do this stuff, but like, let's do it over here as well. Uh, and then that, that's what led to the start of Execution Labs, where, you know, kind of inspired a bit by some local investors to say, hey, like, let's do it here too. Uh, but that, I mean, that was almost 10 years ago. Um, and so we, you know, that, that was really, um, we can talk about that in, I, I guess, in more detail, but uh, um, that, that's, you know, the super quick version of how Execution Labs uh, uh, came to be. Wow. Uh, what a background, Jason. And if I'm, <laughs> uh, it, no, it truly is. I mean, from, you would ne- have never expected that like interest coming from Europe or, or the United States, but you're saying Brazil, Iceland, New Zealand, it's just so interesting to see that you have interest from those areas of the world. I mean, Canal, I, I mean, not to get off topic here, but uh, I mean, even today, like through, through the pandemic, I, I mean, on any given day, I, I'm on Zoom with Colombia, with Indonesia, with Dubai, with uh, Australia. I mean, I mean, literally in, in one week, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll travel the globe like five times over. Of course, it's, you know, click with Zoom, but uh, it's not the same thing as getting on the plane. But it is absolutely uh, global in nature. Yeah, no, no jet lag, but it definitely messes my, you know, daily schedule. So Jason, if I may ask, uh, how big is the fund and, and where have you uh, really been deploying capital uh, over this, this past year? Yeah, so, so Execution Labs, uh, you know, was, was a very early stage. Uh, and in fact, for that program, we only had seven and a half million. Now we raised that uh, late 2012, and we started deploying in 2013. And back then, there was almost no venture capital money flowing through the game industry. I mean, we, we really had to squeeze, you know, every rock and turn over every stone to, to, to raise those, those funds. Um, you know, whereas today, for, the, for those who don't know, I mean, almost every week, there's a new uh, VC fund dedicated to the game space of, you know, 100 million here, 400 million there, you know, it's, it's, it's ridiculous how much capital uh, is available now. So, so back, back then, you know, seven and a half doesn't seem like much, but it was, you know, there was zero, you know, nobody else was doing it. Uh, and we were going very early stage. So we structured our deployment more as a kind of, you know, YC style of accelerator with mentorship that came with it, you know, very early, early stage. Uh, and we, we did about 25 deals uh, over the span of a few years. And, and, and actually, right now, the, the, the Execution Labs is, is dormant. I mean, we're in portfolio maintenance mode, so we haven't done any new investments this year. You know, we're, we're waiting on a few exits to kind of get, you know, kind of re- be able to redeploy some more, more capital. So, Jason... What is venture fund gaming in your eyes and how has venture funding for game studios evolved over the last five years? Yeah, I mean, what's really interesting is the the availability of venture financing has kind of come into play as business models in the game industry have changed. Historically, the game industry is sort of more like uh, you know, film uh, in, in the sense that, 
you know, it's, it was revenue share based, you know, it was more sort of royalty oriented investments on projects. Uh, and, you know, when you would pitch your game project to a VC, they'd say, oh, that looks like a film. We don't invest in content. We don't do products in that way. Uh, and, and really it, it sort of followed this, what, what we call in the industry, the premium uh, or paid pricing model, which is like, you know, you go to Walmart and you buy a copy of FIFA for, you know, 50 bucks. You know, that's sort of the premium model. You go to the store, you buy a disc, you pay the fee, or, or even online where you, you know, download from Xbox and you pay $60 to get the latest Call of Duty. So that, that premium business model or, or sort of pay in advance uh, pricing model does not work well with uh, venture. Uh, it follows more of a kind of a linear type of success curve. Whereas, let's say in the past, you know, decade, uh, we started to see more of the free-to-play business models, uh, which is what you, you know, will almost always see on mobile devices where you download the app, it's free. Uh, and then as you play, if you're really into it, well, you can, you know, pay a buck to have a boost and, you know, pay $5 for the fancy uh, sword and, you know, these kind of uh, microtransactions or in-app purchases. Uh, and what happened was that the free-to-play business model looks like a SaaS business model. And guess what? VCs are familiar with and are comfortable with SaaS. And SaaS, you know, if done right, allows for that exponential type of success curve. And guess what? VCs like exponential success curves. And so just as the game industry more and more was adopting, you know, free-to-play and SaaS-like models, all of a sudden, venture funding started to flow in uh, and, and, and VCs became more and more comfortable. And now you par parallel that with just the overall growth of the sector where, you know, you have free games following a SaaS model that can generate, you know, billions of dollars just with one game. And so, you know, you, you have examples where VCs come in, you know, fairly early stage and you get massively high leverage on those early investments uh, and, you know, you walk away with uh, billions of dollars. So, uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of followed in parallel with the evolution of the, of the business or pricing models in games. So in a sense, it's, it's similar to the uh, financing model used, used in films. Uh, it's a royalty-based investment and well, well, backed by project-based funding. Yeah, I mean, historically, it was project-based you know, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna put money into the, your ninja game, and you know, I take a 10% rev share, and you know, I recoup my investment, etc. But I mean, you know, venture funding today in the game industry works just like venture funding. It's they're they're backing the studios, you know, for long term growth with an eventual exit. So historically, it looked more like fi film financing. That still exists, but the VCs are not doing that style. They're doing normal venture funds. So honing in on this a bit, what, what type of business models then do you see in the industry? Um, and how has that evolved? Are there any up and coming ones that have recently uh, come, come to life? Yeah, well, I mean, the, you know, the, the sort of the big one that we're, you know, in right now is, is this shift from, as I was describing, kind of a, a pay in advance pricing model to a free to play pricing model. Right. So, so, um, you know, going back 10 years, 
almost all of the revenue was, you know, you go to the store, you buy a copy of Call of Duty and you come home with it on a disc and, and you know, you've bought the game as a piece of content. Uh, whereas now, you know, you look at Fortnite and Roblox and League of Legends and Clash of Clans and, you know, all, all of these games, they're all free, right? You download them, you can play them to your heart's content, uh, you know, as much as you want and not pay a penny. Uh, but, you know, if you want the new update and the fancy sword and the new costume, I mean, then you start paying, uh, you know, for the add-ons, for, for, for the, you know, the, the in-game cosmetics and such. And, and you know, and that just the nature of the way the games are designed that can generate billions of dollars of revenue. So the game industry today is, I would say, more dominated by these free-to-play, uh, more SaaS, you know, service, you know, game-as-a-service type, type models. Um, I mean, you have, you have also um, now what we're seeing is subscription models, right? So a bit the sort of Netflix style, uh, you know, for example, Xbox or Microsoft introduced a subscription model for, for the Xbox where you pay, you know, X dollars a month and they, and they give you, you know, a hundred games or four, I, don't know, I don't even know how many they're at now, two, 300 games that you can just play, you know, the same way you would just log into Netflix and just grab and you know, play or watch whatever you want. And so that, that's also kind of upending the, um, the business a bit, uh, you know, the same way that, you know, Netflix kind of going around and, and buying up content has sort of shaken up Hollywood. Um, it's not, I wouldn't say it's dominant yet, this, these subscription models. I mean, Apple has a version of that with the Apple Arcade. Um, you know, there, there, there's, a, there's Xbox, famously PlayStation has one as well. You know, Amazon tr tried to, to, to do a, a subscription model. Uh, and there's a few others kind of always, you know, in, in, in play. So that's kind of shaking things up a bit. Uh, and then, you know, something that I've not played around too much with, but all the crypto blockchain, you know, play to earn, all that stuff is definitely something we're seeing uh, a, a big interest in these days. Um, you know, we'll see if that, you know, really shakes up the industry or not. Uh, but yeah, I, I, think, I think if you really look at kind of the past decade, really the sea change has been the shift from, you know, pay for a product and bring it home from the store versus today, which is almost, I wouldn't say all, but it's heavily favoring free-to-play sort of a SaaS style, you know, games as a service type of model. So Jason, when honing in on the, on the team aspect and when investing, what, what do you look for? Uh, basically, what makes a good game, you know, studio team? Yeah, I mean, I mean, just like sort of standard venture, uh, you know, on the game game industry side, you know, it's all about the team, um, you know. So the, it's kind of very similar. You know, you're looking for founders that have the right mindset and that they're ambitious, but they're also humble and willing to be coached, and they're there to learn and uh, you know have the right grit and perseverance and uh, uh, you know are good leaders and can attract talent. You know, all, all the you know checkbox items that you would want to see in Kind of any founder, you know, this is true in, in the game industry uh, as well. So you're definitely kind of uh, on an individual basis trying to assess, you know, those traits and, and that mindset. Now, the other thing is also um, sort of the complementarity of skills. Uh, and so when we were uh, recruiting, you know, for, for new teams, we wanted to see uh, co-founders uh, that were a minimum of three and had a, a skill set mixture of one technical leader, one creative leader, and one business leader. Um, and 
you know, I, I suppose that's, you know, not unlike other, like you want the, the visionary, the, the techie and the hustler kind of, you know, kind of uh, uh, triad. Um, and so, so we were looking for that as well, right? We, we wanted to see that, that, you know, all three of those angles were well represented and sort of arguments and debates on those topics, you know, were, were also represented at a leadership and ownership level. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, that, that, that's kind of the short answer, right? It's, it's, it's the usual, you know, perseverance, grit, uh, humble, ambitious, all that stuff, but then also uh, a co-founding team that has a nice complementarity of skills. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, I guess that's the short version, the short, the short answer to that one. So, so Jason, when it comes to, you know, venture funding into these game studios and in a way it's kind of like uh investing in a, in a mutual fund or etf from the sense that basically you're investing in these developers who are building these games and the games have this revenue stream for a maybe a set amount of time until it tapers off and then you're basically betting on the next few games that they build to to make up uh you know the lost revenue stream on the uh, prior games so, so what are your thoughts on this jason yeah, so so that that certainly works for some of the studios, uh, you know, where they kind of, uh, as you say, they they make a game, they ship it, you know, they make a bunch of revenue, you know, there's a bit of a long tail, it tapers off, and you know, as it's tapering off, they're making and shipping the the next game. Um, that that's kind of the Hollywood model, right? It's sort of product to product, uh, and a lot of studios still still work that way. What we're seeing now, the really successful ones, um, scale. Right, it's it's an ongoing service. It, it looks more like Twitter. It looks more like Facebook. Right, there's not there's not a new version of Facebook shipped in five years. It's like it's Facebook, uh, you know, it's Twitter, it's you know LinkedIn, whatever. But these platforms, you know, are updated, are are evolved. New features are added. Things are you know removed, etc. New users come. Uh, so if you look at something like Fortnite, I mean, Fortnite has been running. I don't know how many years now, four or five years. Uh, and it has evolved, it's changed, new things added, new, new features, but it's still just Fortnite. And, you know, it's generated billions of dollars of revenue. Uh, you look at, uh, you know, something like League of Legends. League of Legends has been running for 10 years. I mean, Counter-Strike has been running for 20 years. It's unbelievable. Uh, but League of Legends, 10 years old, is still the, one of the largest esport games in the world with, you know, millions and millions and millions of players. Uh, and it generates, you know, crap tons of revenue. Uh, you know, they they were, you know, they they had some investors in the early days. Game did super well. I think they were bought for half a billion dollars uh, by Tencent over in China. And you know, they continue to service that game, which continues to generate hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue, uh, and has you know fans and competitions and tournaments and everything worldwide. So. It's evolving. I mean, it's 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 interesting because yes, historically it was sort of ship a product, ship a product, ship a product, and then you kind of try to parallelize your revenue streams. Whereas now with gamers as a service, sort of SaaS models, it's you know I'm I'm releasing a, a game that's almost more like a platform uh, that sort of stays active over the span of many 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 years. So Jason, looking at the industry from a high level. Uh... Over the past couple of years, one and a half billion dollars USD has been raised across uh, US VC gaming funds. Uh, what does it say about the industry and how it's maturing? In, in your opinion, 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's really, really exciting. I mean, as I said earlier, <clears throat> you know, when, when we were raising for uh, execution labs, it's like we had to, you know, squeeze every stone. Uh, whereas now there's really a massive influx of, of uh, capital. Um, you know, part of it is, it just makes sense if you follow the growth of the sector. I mean, we're, you know, up past $175 billion. The game industry is the number one uh, entertainment industry in the world. You know, we're bigger than, you know, uh, uh, movies and music combined. Um, you know, it's, it's it just from a, from a raw dollars point of view, you know, it's, it's in, inescapable and we continue to grow. Uh, and we're somewhat, sort of, uh, uh, you know, pandemic, well, I don't want to say pandemic resilient, but, uh, you know, you know, even, even during the 2008, 2009 global financial crisis, the game industry still grew, uh, you know, and, and during the pandemic, we grew even more. Um, so there, there's a kind of an interesting resilience that exists within the, the game industry. Um, the evolution of business models, you know, that, that sort of parallel digital distribution and, and broadband, you know, all that sort of SaaS type, type models that we were discussing earlier, just makes it uh, attractive to investors and it functions with VC math, right? Because if you're the next Fortnite, you know, you're gonna be more than a billion dollars. If you're the next League of Legends, you're gonna be a billion dollars. So, so the, the ability to generate, call it unicorn style studios is, is unbelievable. And, and because it's entertainment, you know, it can happen tomorrow, right? There's, there's one studio, uh, 1047, they, they had a game called Splitgate. You know, they were developing it, you know, for a couple of years. And then, you know, they, they raised the seed round. I think it was about 10 million. And then, and then they released the game on Xbox and PlayStation. They had millions of downloads. And like three months later, they raised 100 million at a billion valuation. Um, you know, because the game sort of had the traction and the numbers to show that it was pointing, you know, that exponential curve, that hockey stick. Uh, you know, was pointing pointing upwards. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, the, the the VCs have become more savvy, and and also what's happening is uh, the these dedicated game investors are coming from the game sector, right? That they, they worked in you know corp dev, business development, or even on the on the operation or production side. They understand the game industry. They understand the business models. They understand what it takes to be successful. Uh, and they're making the jump to to, to venture, uh, and then they're convincing you know their LPs to to put money in because of the you know amazing opportunities that exist. So um, yeah, I mean it's it's exciting. Uh, I mean it's, it's just I, I still can't believe how much money is uh, is floating around. In addition, I have to also add that there's been this major market shift in the sense that Axie Infinity Sky Mavis raised. $150 million Series B at a $3 billion valuation. And it was particularly behind that P2E concept, play to earn, right? Which Axie Infinity was our first uh, game that, that came up with that new gaming business model. And what is so interesting about that is that the traditional gaming industry has always been about the developers or the conglomerates who own these uh, big gaming studios have massive stakes, taking the profits rather than distributing those profits through the players, right? Or to the users. And I think P2E really decentralizes that, you know, through staking rewards, et cetera, and gives people an opportunity to not just play a game, but to make a living playing the game and to develop, you know, something truly unique on these platforms. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, listen, it, it changes the economics right now. You know, you're not just playing for the fun of it, but you're also playing to, you know, earn, earn income. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the play to earn kind of phenomena, which really has only come about this year, is fascinating. Uh, you know, really decentralizes uh, the business model and, and sort of shifts the economics. Um, and, and yeah, we're, we're seeing ridiculous rate. I mean, there, there was... Uh, there was a, a, a soccer football game uh, called Sorer that raised uh, $680 million this summer. Uh, and it's like thir 30 guys, I think 30 guys in France working on a crypto, you know, football game. Um, so yeah, th th there's, uh, you know, is it, is it all justifiable? You know, would it, would, is it a bubble or not? You know, is this valid? I think there's still a lot of question marks uh, around the sustainability of the pay to earn uh, model. Uh, but certainly, you know, as of today, there's definitely a, a huge appetite from the investment community. Uh, and, you know, we've seen, you know, great sort of short-term success stories like, like Axie Infinity um, that are getting a, a lot of buzz. Uh, you know, it's, it's early days, so, you know, we'll, we'll see where, where, where that all plays out. Agreed. Only time, time will tell. <laughs> exactly. And uh, Jason, uh, you know, when, when people look at, you know, the gaming industry, uh, some would say gaming is passion driven, but not market responsive. What do people mean by that? What, what does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a good call it, you know, observation slash criticism. Uh, certainly, you know, in the earlier days, the people making games were coming at it really from a passion perspective, from a creative perspective. Uh, you know, these were designers and artists and programmers, you know, that had to create, had to build worlds, had to create, you know, immersive interactive experiences. And they really weren't thinking through the business side. They weren't thinking about how do I market this and who's the audience and what's the business model. It was just, you know, a, a canvas is in front of me and I must paint on the canvas and express myself. And that, that still happens a lot today. Where, where so much of the talent is coming at it from the creative, passion-driven, uh, you know, development production perspective. And, and, you know, amazingly, you know, some of the work that I do today where I'm, you know, all over the world, it's like coaching business skills and entrepreneurship to designers and artists and, and programmers who, who, you know, don't have or haven't had that kind of education or, or upbringing. So, so, so today it's still absolutely true that so much of the game industry is kind of driven by this passion or this love to create uh, uh, immersive experiences. Um, and so, so in that sense, you know, it's one of the, also one of the reasons why historically, you know, venture hasn't really suited because a VC would sit down with a, you know, a studio head uh, who's like a programmer or, or an artist and, and the story they would tell would be much more of a, called a lifestyle story, right? It's like, oh, we have this dream to make game about X. So we're making it now. It'd be great if you gave us some money so we didn't have to starve. And our goal is to like break even and make just enough money so it pays for our next game. And, you know, we're just going to go game to game kind of in a break even type model because their ambition is not to become billionaires. Their ambition is to create because they're coming at it as passionate artists and designers and so on. And so when a VC sees that kind of mindset, 
It's like, well, listen, you might be super talented, but if all you want to do is build a lifestyle business, well, that's not compatible with, with VC math. So that was, you know, almost all of the cases, you know, going back, you know, 10 years, but it's still very prevalent in the game industry today. Uh, you know, that being said, you do have more and more uh, uh, entrepreneurs and business oriented folks uh, that are getting into the game industry, you know, with a, with a, you know, a much higher degree of commercial intention. Uh, and, and then what they'll do is those people will then pursue the SaaS style models. They'll pursue free to play pricing models. You know, they'll, they'll build games as platforms that can endure for, you know, 10 years. And then all of a sudden now they're talking the same language as the VCs that then are happy to back those entrepreneurial uh, type uh, game developers. Um, yeah, so that's, I mean, that's a, a, a bit what they mean when they say, oh yeah, the game industry is kind of passion driven. And Jason, to wrap up our call with our last question for the day, uh, what piece of advice would you give to people out there from the journey you have had thus far in life? Oh my goodness. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you, you know, when you're at it for 25 years, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I mean, the game industry is really is an amazing industry to work in and, and a bit sort of riffing on the last question you have to respect the creative aspect, right? Because, because it is an art form. You, you, it, is, it is works of culture. It's, it's, it's works of expression. And, and there is a, a, a very serious aspect of creativity and innovation and design and art and music and writing and all that kind of stuff. It's really, you know, it's, it's, it's a work of art. And so you have to respect that. You have to understand that. And you have to have people you know, that can do that work that requires that talent. But at the same time, the game industry is a massive, massive booming industry generating billions and billions of dollars of revenue. And likewise, if you don't respect and understand the business side and the economics of the, of the game industry, uh, you know, you'll, you'll fail as well. So uh, it's, it's one of the things that I always found so fascinating is really it's this kind of, you know, it's art, it's science, but it's also business and marketing and you really have to kind of appreciate and respect uh, and invest your energy in, in, in all of that, or, or at least have the team that has all the right skills to enable you to do so. So, you know, if you're, if you're listening to this podcast and you know, you're, you're more on the entrepreneurial side and don't have those artistic skills, well then go find those people. And on the flip side, if you're, you know, an artist and you're struggling to succeed from the business point of view, you know, go, go find that partner that does understand the business side of things and kind of find a, a happy marriage between the two. And Jason, for people who are interested in potentially catching a cup of coffee with you, whether it be our listeners, uh, game developers, you know, gamers looking for investments, uh, what would be the best point of contact? Yeah, pro probably just looking me up either on Twitter or, or LinkedIn. Uh, I don't think there's any other uh, Jason Delaraca. Uh, uh, or, or people with that name out there. So, so I'm pretty easy to find uh, online. Uh, so yeah, I, I just poke me on LinkedIn or, or, or tweet at me. Jason, it was a pleasure having you on Geeks of the Valley. And thank you so much for joining us today. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kunal.